What a week we had, huh? A friend of mine posted on their Facebook account, um, uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. I think it was, I think it was Wednesday. She said, man, it's only halfway through the week and I don't know if I can take much more of this. We had daylight savings time, hit a Saturday night, then we had the election. Please, I don't need Starbucks to give me any drama in my life. (laughs) But it's been kind of a crazy week. And I need to address something before anybody gets frustrated and walks out on me. Um, I'm wearing a safety pin, if you haven't already noticed it. And for those of you who are not aware of what's going on, there are people literally in our country who are walking around literally scared to death that they're going to be harmed because of other people who are, who are acting inappropriately and with hatred. And I'm not going to get into all the political junk. I don't care about the political junk, quite honestly. The political junk will weigh itself out. But the reality is there are literally people who I know personally who are walking around scared to death. And this is a symbol, a nonverbal symbol that I'm a safe person. You don't have to fear me treating you inappropriately or harming you in any way. And if you feel that someone else is harming you or being mean to you or hating you or possibly even physically harming you, you can come to me and I guarantee you I will stand up for you and protect you. That's what this is saying. It's not saying that I'm anti-Clinton or anti-Trump. or It's not a political statement. This is a statement of love. And I almost bought a package of safety pins and encouraged every member of this church to wear them over the next few weeks. That's up here. You can go to Fred Myers and buy some. Just make sure that you put it on the card so that we get the extra amount from each purchase. But the reality is, folks, we have a world right now that's in crisis. At least our country is. And it's because of division. It's because, quite honestly, if you want to talk about it for real, it's because many, 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 many people have turned their backs on God. That's the reality. It is because this country has literally gotten away from God in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we practice. And I'm not talking politically. I am just talking, period. Our culture has just been warped and twisted over the last 50 to 60 years. I can remember when I first became a Christian back in the 1970s. I can remember preachers saying, if we lose the next generation, we've lost the the fight against sin. If we don't get the next generation's hearts, it's one step away from total chaos and anarchy. And guess what, folks? Now at the age of 57, 40 years later, I'm seeing the truth of those statements. Because we did lose a generation, some, I think maybe even two. Because people were not, they were not willing or they were afraid or they were whatever to spank their kid and tell them no and to tell them how they're supposed to act and tell them how they're supposed to believe. Well, I'll just let my child choose for themselves when they turn 18. No, you, they won't. Because by that time, the foundation is just Garbage. And we're going to reap the benefits of it for the rest of the time we're on this earth, I believe, personally. Because, see, as I read the word of God, it says anarchy and chaos will be abounding at the time of the end. 
And quite honestly, I am not a scholar when it comes to end time theology. But everything I understand and know, it sure seems like we're getting close. Now, I have heard that for 40 years as a Christian. I've said it. I think Jesus is going to come back before I turn 40. Well, I'm 57. (laughs) So I was off by 17 years at least. But the word of God says no human being will know the day or the hour when Christ returns, but he is returning. And we need to be ready. Just, it says the word, in the word it says he will come as a thief in the night. In other words, if, if you're the owner of the house and you knew the night, the time and the night of the, the night and the time that the three, robber was going to come and break in, you would have been standing guard and making sure that it didn't happen. And it's the same way for those of us who are expecting the, or the return of Christ. We need to be standing guard and waiting for it and watching for it. And at the same time that all of that's going on, we need to live in this really cruddy, nasty world where everyone and everyone, everyone is turning away from God. And again, I don't care who's president. I don't care who's the governor of my state. I don't care who the senators are. I don't care who the judges are. I really don't. Because the only one I answer to is Jesus. He's the only one. Now, I have to live in a country and in a world where there are human beings that try to be in charge. But if you look around the nation right now, it's kind of scary. Because we have a transition starting. And if you saw the pictures of the transition, the very first meeting between the, the outgoing president and the incoming president... There weren't any love in that room. And they were just making nice for the camera. But the body language was saying, you can just drop dead for all I care. And it's a scary thing. Because I I don't think there's necessarily going to be a real positive and good and easy handoff. And I think one of the things as Christians, because we live in this world, we're going to need to be on our faces before God. We just spent the last week, for those of you who don't know, we just spent the last, actually, eight days praying for our, for our nation, for specifically for the election, but praying for our nation. Every single night we were fasting and praying for the last week, praying that God would do something miraculous so that our, our country doesn't fall into chaos and anarchy. Well, quite honestly, I thought, it's done, the election's over with, yeah, we can go back to normal. Hmm. Hmm. See, God has been whispering to me that the work has just started and that was just simply basic training for what you need to continue to do from here on out, folks. This isn't a matter of, oh, we just pray a revival and God will come and bless and everything's going to be great because guess what? It's not. Now, I'm going to read you some scripture. Actually, why don't we do that now because, you know, we've got to read scripture when we preach and stuff. But no, the reality is, is Isaiah chapter 34, which is where we're at, in our study of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 34 has 17 verses. And yes, I am going to read all 17 verses because it wouldn't make sense otherwise, the things I want to say to you this morning. But Isaiah 34 is not a fun chapter to read, quite honestly. I mean, I prayed about it. Can we just skip this one, God? No. Because see, 34 and 34, remember like I said a couple of weeks ago, 32 and 33 were kind of paired well, in the same way that 32 and 33 were paired, 34 and 35 were paired. And before you can go to 35, you have to go through 34. Okay? And, and, and let, me, let me tell you something. 35? Woo! That's good stuff. Woo! I can't wait to preach 35 because, oh, that's going to be easy. 
But I've got to go through 34 to get to 35. And guess what? Human history has to go through 34 to get to 35. And it's not going to be fun. And I hope Jesus comes before then, but it's not going to happen, Jesus. It's not going to come before then. I hope maybe I die before then. That would be a good thing, because then I don't have to go through it. Y'all could just, the younger ones, you know, the millennials, let them go through it. But listen, for 34, 17 verses. Come near, you nations, and listen. Pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all the nations. His wrath is upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will send up a stench. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. All the stars of heaven will be dissolved and the sky rolled up like a scroll. All the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. My sword, and this is the Lord talking, my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. See, it descends in judgment on Edom, the people I have totally destroyed. The sword of the Lord is bathed in blood. It is covered with fat. The blood of lambs and goats, fat from the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah and a great slaughter in Edom. And the wild oxen will fall with them. The bull calves and the great bulls, their land will be drenched with blood. And the dust will be soaked with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of tribulation to uphold Zion's cause. Edom's streams will be turned to pitch. Pitch, if you're not familiar, is a tarry black substance. Her, her dust will become sulfur. Her land will become blazing pitch. It will not be quenched night and day. Its smoke will rise forever. From generation to generation, it will lie desolate. No one will ever pass through it again. The desert owl and the screech owl will possess it. The great owl and the raven will nest there. God will stretch out over Edom the measuring line of chaos and the plumb line of desolation. And her nobles will have nothing there but a king to be called a kingdom. All her princes, pre, excuse me, all her princes will vanish away. Thorns will overrun her citadels, nettles and brambles, her strongholds. She will become a haunt for jackals, a home for owls. Desert creatures will meet with hyenas when wild goats will bleat to each other. And there the night creatures will also repose and find themselves places of rest. The owl will nest there and lay eggs. She will hatch them and care for her young under the shadow of her wings. There also the falcons will gather, each with its mate. Look in the scroll of the Lord and read. None of these will be missing. Not one will lack her mate, for it is his mouth that has given the order, and his spirit will gather them together. He allots their portion. His hand distributes them by measure. They will possess it forever and dwell there from generation to generation. Wasn't that an uplifting chapter to read? I, I should read that for devotions every morning for the next month. It's like, yeesh. why? What is this? Why? And I don't even understand most of it. You know, I mean, I read it quickly because I've read it about a million times so far this week. But the reality is a quick reading of it. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. What in the world is this? Well, I'll, I'll break it down for you. Verse one, come near, you nations. <laughs> Duh. Hello, everybody. Number two, the Lord is angry with everybody. And his wrath is on their armies. 
And this word, he will totally destroy, the Hebrew word there is harem. Haram, actually. Haram. That's the verb. The, the noun is harem. But the bottom line is haram. Do you know what it means when it says haram in Hebrew? It means you destroy it completely so that there's nothing left because it's devoted to God. Normally when an army comes and defeats their enemy, they then go through and get all the valuables for themselves. It's called, you know, it's called plundering. It's booty. They take with them and they go back on their way. God says, when I say harem, that means it's mine. You don't take any of it. If you remember the story of Jericho, Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho, they're walking around the walls. The whole city of Jericho was haram, was harem. They were to haram it. And then there was somebody who stole some silver and some silk scarves and God called the whole nation to account as a result of it. God doesn't mess when it's harem or haram that he's talking about. So God here, prompting the, Mos- the, uh, the prophet Israel, uh, Isaiah, said, you tell them that I'm going to haram them. They're going to completely be led out to slaughter. And then it talks some disgusting, vile things about bodies and fat and blood soaking the ground. And then what's weird, he talks about the stars of heaven being dissolved and the starry host falling from the sky. What did the stars ever do? Well, the stars represent the false gods that these people who are not people of God were worshiping. So God is literally saying, I'm wiping out everything in creation that's not of me. Everything. And it goes on and talks about animal parts and types of animals and blah, blah, blah. And it talks about God's vengeance. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty clear statement. God's trying to get the people's attention because there's something bad going to happen. But then all of a sudden... Oh, there's one more thing before I go there. Uh, verse 11. It says... It's, it says that God is going to stretch out over Edom the measuring line of chaos and the plumb line of desolation. The measuring line of, of chaos and the plumb line of desolation. And the Hebrew words there, it's actually kind of a, a almost like a poetical thing. The Hebrew words there are tohu and bohu. And those same two words are used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 where it says, And the earth was without form and void. There's just chaos and desolation. One scholar said that what God is declaring is he's going to totally shred the creation that he brought into being in Genesis chapter 1. Isn't that kind of interesting? Because don't we hear about in, in the end times there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth? So Isaiah is right in line with that. Talking about the idea that God is going to be so angry and frustrated with these people who are not following. He's literally just going to... Bring it back to its state of chaos and desolation so that he can rise up something new. Verses 16 and 17 talk about that something new. And they're kind of like a transitional statements that go into 35. We're just talking about that something new, which we'll talk about next time. But I was, I was really intrigued that 
it starts out talking about the nations, listen to me. I'm angry with all of you. But then for some reason, the prophet feels prompted by God to specifically say, and God's got it out for Edom. Verse uh, 9 through 15 talk about how Edom is going to be destroyed, and Edom is going to this, and Edom is going to that, and God is going to, eh, on Edom. And I was like, why? What did they ever do? Well, to understand why, we need to go back a little bit. Do you remember the story of um, Jacob and Esau? What was the deal with Esau? What did Esau do or not do? Right. He, Esau sold his birthright for a pot of soup that Jacob did. And what did Jacob do that made Esau so mad? He stole his birthright by literally going into, I mean, his blessing, not the birthright. Stole the blessing. Esau gave the birthright up. But, Esau, but Jacob stole the blessing from Esau by tricking his father, by bringing in, his father's literally dying. His father's blind, can hardly hear. And he brings in the father's favorite food that he's prepared, quote-unquote, even though it was his mother that did it. And he's wrapped goats or goat skins around his neck and his hands. And the father says, who is this? He says, I'm your son Esau. Well, that's kind of weird because you, you sound like Jacob. No, no, I'm Esau. Here, father, eat. Give me a blessing. Come here, Esau. And Isaac tries to touch him. He says, well, you feel like Esau, but you still sound like Jacob. And it ends up that, I, that, that um, Israel, excuse me, Isaac pours out a blessing, a deathbed blessing that was supposed to go to the firstborn onto Jacob, who becomes Israel. And when Esau finds out about it, oh, is he mad? Oh, he's mad. What happens? He leaves and he moves to a certain part of the world, kind of southeast of Israel. Oh, I forgot to tell you, when, when Esau was born, what does the Bible say about him? It was hairy. He's furry. What color was that hair? Red. red. You know how you say red in Hebrew? Edom. You know why the area of the world known as Edom became known as Edom? Because Esau moved there. This is Edom's land. Okay? Now, it also says... Around verse, where was it? I'm looking for the word Bozra, B-O-Z-R-A-H. Where is it, folks? I didn't have it highlighted. End of six. End of six. That's why I'm looking too far down. Okay, end of six. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in Edom. What is Basra? Does anybody know? All right, to make it cut down time, it's the capital of Edom. Okay, so not only is it the nation to be, but he's going to the capital, to where the leaders are, to the kings, to the priests, to the, to the, the government center of this nation of Edom. And it says God is going to pour out his wrath. Kill them all. Destroy them all. Well, that doesn't... I mean, I understand, but hey, it seems kind of... Uh, not really God-like, right? I mean, God doesn't just have this, this vendetta just because he doesn't like somebody. I don't have time this morning to go through all the long lists, but let me just share with you one reference to the relationship, not of Esau and Jacob, but of the people of Israel 
and the people of Edom. If you were to turn, you don't have to turn there, but if you were to turn to Psalm 137, verse 7. We'll just do that one verse. 137, verse 7. This is, I'm going to read to you the whole nine verses of 137, but listen to verse 7. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. This psalm was written after the exile, after the nation of Israel got exiled to, uh, the nation of of Judah got exiled to Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the song of the Lord While in a foreign land, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I don't remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, oh, remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. You see... The Israelites, the Judahites, the ones who were part of this nation that got pulled out and relocated to Babylon during the time of, this, of the great exile. They were devastated. They were mortified. They were hard. And they were being horribly treated by their captors. And as they're passing through to Babylon, they go through the land of Edom. They're being hand bound by chains and pulled and dragged through as a mass of people going through Babylon. And as they go through the land of Edom, their brothers and sisters by blood, the Edomites are standing along the roads going, curse them, destroy them, down to the foundations, destroy all of the Israelites. Can you imagine Would you say that to your third or fourth or fifth cousin? If they were being horrified and terrorized and harmed greatly? I would hope not. But that's the depth and the level of the hatred between these two people. The people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, the people of God, and the people who aren't of God. Now, as I was mulling this over and thinking about it, I I, I had this thought. It wasn't anybody commentary that I read. It was just something that I thought. I thought, you know what? This makes sense to me why in modern day we evangelical Christians say it's so important that our nation's leaders align ourselves with Israel. Right? Haven't you heard that for 30, 40, 50 years? Well, we need to make sure that we stand with Israel because God honors those who stand with Israel. God honors those who stand with Israel. You go against Israel, you lose the hand of blessing of God. That's what I've heard for 40 years. People are shaking their hands all over this room. Where do you read that in the Bible? Where does the Bible tell you that your government has to support the government and the nation of Israel so that they can receive the blessing of God? Where? Point me the verse. Talking to whom? Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, that's fine. Okay. 
But where does it say that the government of one nation has to support the government of Israel? It says those who bless you will be blessed. There's a spiritual thing going on here. Okay? Now, I'm not challenging. I'm just, I'm not trying to make any of you think badly about what you've been taught all this. But this was something I've been processing for the last just few days. So I'm not saying I'm right 100%, but this is where I've come to. It is not a governmental or political thing. It is a, are you a person of God or not? Are you a person of God who honors the God of Israel and honors the people of God? Or are you a person who is not of God? And so what I see here as God saying, I'm going to pour out my wrath on the Edomites. He's saying in the future, because this is an eschatological writing. This is talking about the end times. He's saying in the future, if you are not with me, you are Oh, there's stuff coming that you don't even want to see. The people of Edom in this passage of scripture are the people who are not followers of God, not lovers of God, not putting God first, loving him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength and following the teachings of Jesus, loving their neighbors as their self. You see, back when all of this stuff was written in Isaiah and in Genesis and the stories of Isaac and, and Esau, all of that was under the old law. But from the time of Jesus forward, we have a new law and a new covenant. It is now written on our hearts. We are to love God from ourselves and we are to love our neighbors from ourselves. It is not get your nation to do what it needs to do so they can be blessed by God. It is literally, are you a person of God? Are you following the tenets of the faith that has been laid out before you? Are you honoring God through Jesus do you acknowledge that the blood of Christ cleanses you from your sins? And do you indeed love your neighbor as yourself? That's whether or not you are Jew or Edomite, if you will. Israelite or Edomite, let's put it that way. And the reality that we're seeing here is that the people of God are going to be hated by the people who are not of God. can show you in the truth of the word of God it's going to get worse for us who are followers but what is our calling our calling is out of first, uh, first, first or second Corinthians I can't remember which one we are to be ambassadors for Christ we are foreigners in a foreign land but we are representing our king we are to pray in the kingdom of God our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven, I mean on earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer literally is talking about the end times. God, may your kingdom come on this earth. How does that happen? Jesus has to come back and set up his kingship here. The millennial reign, if you will. But how does that happen? There has to be a hardening of the heart of most of the people of the earth. Because the word of God says there's going to just be a remnant who honor and love God. And then, oh, 
horrible time is going to come. Literally, the word of God says, you won't be able to buy a loaf of bread unless you give up a full day's wages. Children will go against their parents. Families will fall apart. I mean, the whole world literally, forgive the expression, goes to hell in a handbasket according to the word of God. And then the end will come. It is great for us to go, Lord Jesus, I'm waiting. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, Maranatha. But the reality is, when you call for that, you're also calling for Isaiah 34 to happen. Where God unleashes his wrath on the people who are not people of God. Literally, harem. No, re- no removing the pain. No pulling punches. Literally, destruction. To the point where when it's all said and done, God literally shreds creation and brings it back to the void and desolation that it was at the beginning. So that he can recreate and make new. Having said all of that, what do we take home with us this week? What do we, what do we hold on to? For me, I started it by telling you I'm wearing a safety pen. This is a way for me to be Jesus to my community. To love unconditionally every single human being. Why? So I can be a good person and everyone will like me. No. So I can have opportunity to speak the gospel truth into the lives of the people whom I am showing love to. Because I won't have opportunity to speak love, I mean, speak the gospel truth to them unless I am in relationship with them. And I can't be in relationship with them if I'm standing back saying, well, I'm holy and you're not. You're a sinner and you need Jesus. And if you would turn from your sins, you might. The world is not going to hear that anymore. I guarantee you. You, you can stand on the street corner and scream it and hold placards and say, you're sinners, prepare to meet your God. They are not going to hear it anymore. They have hardened their hearts to the point where they're not going to hear it. But when you love on them, one-on-one, and they see who you are, and they see that you... I mean, I will show you if you want to see my Facebook posts where people who are so scared to death of what's going on have literally said to me, I know that you're one that I can trust, Bob. I know it. I've seen it so many times in your life. And they literally are making me feel wonderful about who I am as a person. But the reality is, I have lived my life in such a way before this world that they see Jesus in me. They don't recognize it as Jesus. They just see me as a good person. But they see Jesus in me to the point now where I have a voice in their life. I have the opportunity to speak truth into their life. Not because I'm a great evangelist, but because I'm a great lover of God who knows how to love the people of this earth, whether they love God or not. And that's the thing that you need to grab hold of and take with you this week. You don't have to put a safety pin on your clothes to say, I'm a lover of the people. But you do need to live that way. You need to live in such a way that when someone is, is horrored and feeling so scared and out of their mind threatened, that you're the first person they think of that's safe to them. And why? Because you love God. And as a result, you love your fellow human beings. That's 
what Isaiah 34 is all about. And that's how we need to live. Next time I talk with you, Jesus is coming. But right now, we're a safety pit. Let's pray.